but get to John chapter 4 today. John chapter 4. How many of you are wide awake and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed this morning? All right. I hope those of you who raised your hand said, I'm wide awake and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I hope you noticed the title of today's message, Eternal Life. And I'm hoping you saw that and went, now time out, Jim. I thought we were done with eternal life already. I thought that was only three weeks. I thought that was supposed to be done last week. So why are you preaching on eternal life again? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because my intention was, and you're right, we were supposed to be done with eternal life. Isn't that weird to say? We're supposed to be done with eternal life. I was going to finish up preaching our little mini-series through chapter 3 last week. I was going to finish it up and move on to chapter 4. And in chapter 4 is when Jesus is sitting at this well with the Samaritan woman. He's having this discussion with her. That's where we were going to dive into, and that's where we are. But as I started to study chapter 4, I got to verse 13. And if you look at verse 13 with me, it says this. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become, will, in him will become in him a spring of water welling up to what? Eternal life. So I read that, and I'm like, you know what? I don't think I can just fly right over that. Um, Jesus, I have this sneaky suspicion that Jesus was fired up about one thing. What, what do you think he was fired up about? Eternal life. He talked a lot about eternal life. So I read that and I'm like, well, if Jesus is talking about eternal life, guess who else has to talk about eternal life again? Moi. So I said to myself, self, we have to extend our little mini series from three parts to four. And so today is part four of our, are you guys okay with that? That we're going to do part four on eternal life? Do you get tired about hearing about eternal life? Because if you're tired about hearing about eternal life, we have a problem, Houston. All right? We should never get tired or draw tired about talking about eternal life because that's where we're all headed as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so today I want to talk about how eternal life happens. And so let's look at three things about how eternal life happens. And so here's the first thing. Eternal life happens because... Jesus seeks sinners even though they aren't seeking him. We have eternal life because Jesus is the one who seeks sinners even though we are not seeking him. Now, we see this here in John chapter 4. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples did, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Now, let's stop there. I've got a map here that's kind of going to show um, where we're at. Wow, that map is bigger than what I planned. Can we reduce that thing by any chance? Ah, it's not giving me what I want. Darn. I don't know why I did that. Okay, now you're going to have to kind of think this in your head. Let me set this up here. Remember, last week... I said at the end of chapter 3, both John the Baptist and Jesus, as it says in John chapter 3, that Jesus and John the Baptist were in the Judean countryside baptizing, okay? Now, if this map, the map that I sent was smaller, you've got Samaria here. If there it is, I knew it. 
Okay, can you see Judea here at the southern where it says the Salt Sea? That's the Dead Sea. So the, the Judean countryside is southern Israel, all right? And, and Jesus was along somewhere along the Jordan River, that river between the, the Salt Sea and the Sea of Galilee. That's the Jordan River. And Jesus and John the Baptist was somewhere in the Judean countryside baptizing, all right? So here's Jesus and John the Baptist baptizing, but the Pharisees start getting wind of Jesus' baptizing. Well, the problem is, is Jesus is baptizing more than John the Baptist are. So the Pharisees, they're always been out of shape about what Jesus is doing. So their, start, their, their idea is now, we need to go to Jesus and start debating him, why are you baptizing so much? Well, it says that Jesus was like, I don't want to get in an argument with the Pharisees right now. I'm just going to leave. And it says that he left the Judean countryside, the southern part of Israel, to go to Galilee, the northern part of Israel, okay? Now, how many of you know they didn't catch a bus? They didn't get in the car. They didn't ride a bike. They had to walk. And that is approximately 90 miles, okay? So the trip would have taken, you know, you're walking at four miles an hour. Eight hours, you're talking about 32, 35 miles a day. About three days worth of journeying to walk 90 miles, all right? So... That's where they're headed, to northern Israel. Go ahead and leave that map up there for a little bit. Now, take a look at chapter, verse 4. So he departs to Galilee, but in verse 4, John makes this a point. He says, and he had to pass through Samaria. So from Judea to Galilee is a section right in the middle called Samaria. Now, why does John point that out? I mean, what's the big deal? I mean... It looks obvious to me. It's a straight shot. Well, here's the problem. Jesus was a Jew. His disciples were Jews. And the people who lived in Samaria were people that the Jews did not like. The Samaritans. The Jews uh, did not associate with Samaritans. Jews did not talk to Samaritans. Jews did not hang out with Samaritans. Jews looked at Samaritans as a second-class citizen, inferior people. They didn't talk. They didn't do anything with Samaritans, okay? And the reason why there was so much hatred, so much um, um, prejudice for, from Jews to Samaritans, they goes back almost 730 years. Back in the time when the Assyrian army came down, conquered Israel, and then took captives back to Assyria. Now what happened was the Jews in Assyria began to intermingle with the Assyrian people, meaning intermarriage. And so you have Jews marrying Assyrians, Jews marrying Gentiles. That was forbidden. And you had now all of a sudden mixed marriages, a mixed race. After the Assyrians let the people go, they migrated back to Israel. And guess where they landed? Right there where it says Samaria. And they created their own, basically their own religion. So the Jews hated the Samaritans because the Samaritans couldn't pinpoint their genealogy, meaning they couldn't identify what tribe they came from, the 12 tribes of Israel. They couldn't do it. They, the, the, the Samaritans, um, they were a mixed race. They were Jew and Gentile. They were in, in, inbreds. They were impure. So to a Jew, you're like, uh-uh, not even going to be around you. And, the, and then these Samaritans also, they have their own mountain 
Um, you may be able to see it's right there in the middle. It's called Mountain Gizbor or something like that. On that mountain is where they began to do their own religion, their own sacrifices. They, re they erected their own temple. So the Jews looked at Samaritans and were like, you guys are worthless. We want nothing to do with you. In fact, there were some times where some Jewish people, when they were leaving the Judea area, instead of going through Samaria, they would cross over the Jordan River, go through Perea, and go up the Capolis, and go around up to Galilee, extending their trip even by more days. That's how much they hated the Samaritans, but not Jesus. Jesus is in Galilee, or Judea. He wants to get to Galilee, and he's going to go through Samaria. But here's the thing. He's not going there just because he's like, oh, man, I don't want to walk all the way through the Capolis. That's too far to walk. No, no, no. He's doing this because of one purpose. He has a divine appointment to meet somebody. There's somebody he has to meet. Because if you look at the rest, continue on. So in verse 4, he passes through Samaria. Look at verse 5. It says he comes to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. What that means is when... You have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, who becomes Israel. When Jacob is already about to die, he has 12 sons. He disperses land allotments to his sons. Joseph gets Samaria. That's where jo that was Joseph's land. And, and so there was a, a well there that Jacob had built or dug. And it was, and it was still around in Jesus' time. And so here you have Samaria that was Joseph's land with Jacob's well there. And, and so that's what's going on here. And so in verse 6, it says, Jacob's well there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came and from the, city, the village, Sychar. You know, she comes to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So... So you can see, how many, can, can you see the, 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 where the city Sitar is right there? Can you, can you all see that? Or is that too far from you? That's probably, so it's about midway, right where, where it says Samaria. You come down a little bit, there, there it is. But it's about midway. So a long journey, okay? He'd probably been walking eight or ten hours, and he was tired, okay? And they come to Sikar. And now here's the thing. His disciples go and, and buy food. But Jesus goes to a well, and he sits there. Now, we know in the text, as we get ready, as we keep going, he had nothing to draw water out with. Why are you going to go to a well if you have nothing to draw water out with? That's kind of pointless. Because the idea is you're going to go to a well because you're thirsty and you need a drink. See, Jesus wasn't going to the well primarily because of his thirst. He was going to the well primarily to meet someone. You see, he had a divine appointment with somebody. And it was this woman that came out. And here's why I say that. Do you notice in the text it says it was the sixth hour? Okay. Now, like John already said, he had to go through Samaria. There was a reason he said that. Now he points out it's the sixth hour. Why put that in there? What's the big deal? Why couldn't he say Jesus just went to the well? Because the sixth hour was noon. For Jews, the, the first hour started at 6 a.m. Sixth hour, noon. Now, why is that significant? Because at noon, 
women who back then, kind of like cultures today, were the ones who went and drew the water. Guess when women usually drew water? Morning or evening. Why? Cool. The coolness of the day. Nobody goes at midday when it's hot to draw water. It's too hard. But this woman, she goes and draws water at noon. And Jesus just happens to be there. So my, I started thinking about that. I'm like, is that a divine coincidence or a divine appointment? See, I started thinking about that's a divine appointment because Jesus already knew where he was going and he already knew who he was going to meet. Well, Jim, how do you know that? Because I think back to John chapter 3. When Jesus starts calling his disciples, there's one disciple that he just didn't run into one day and go, hey, dude, do you want to follow me? His name was Philip. And it doesn't say that he ran into Philip. It says he went and found Philip. He searched him out. He didn't know who Philip was. He had never met Philip, but he already knew who Philip was. And he, when he, he starts looking around, and he starts searching for this guy by the name of Philip and finds him. And he calls Philip. And then Philip goes and finds his friend, Nathaniel. And then Nathaniel, he come, brings Nathaniel to Jesus. And Jesus sees Nathaniel and he says, Oh, there's a Jew with no deceit in him. And Nathaniel's like, How do you know me? And Jesus, is like, Nathaniel, I tell you the truth. Even before Philip called you and brought you to me, I already saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel's like, Oh my gosh, you know some stuff. You see, Jesus knew who Philip was went out and sought him. He knew who Nathaniel was before he ever met him. I believe this woman, he had a divine appointment with because he already saw her. You see, here's the thing. How many of you know there's no coincidences with God? God's not like, I didn't see that coming. Okay? Jesus is the same way. He's not like, oh, wow, this lady just shows up. Unbelievable. How many of you know, why did he not go with the disciples to go buy food? Why did he not rest somewhere else? I mean, why, not, why didn't it say he rested under a fig tree, under the shade tree? And why does he go to the well to draw water with nothing to draw water with at noon when he would know nobody's there? That's like you and me going to a restaurant and the sign says closed on Tuesdays. And you go to the restaurant on Tuesday and you're just standing outside the door going, I'm just waiting for the owner because I know they're showing up. That's what Jesus is doing. He's hanging out at a well because he knows this woman's coming. A divine appointment. And she shows up. And Jesus is like, hey, can I have some water? And he begins a dialogue with her. Can I tell you, I believe it's no different for you and me today. That you have a divine appointment with God a lot. Can I tell you that when you came to Jesus that when you know Christ is your Savior, you did not come to him by chance. You did not come just like this woman. She did not go, wake up that morning and go, hey, I think I'm going to go down to the well because I think I'm going to meet God today. She didn't know it, that she had an appointment with the Son of God. She didn't go out seeking for God, but God went and sought her. Same with you and me. You didn't wake up. If you know Jesus as your Savior, can I tell you, you did not wake up one morning with an epiphany. You did not go, like, wake up on a Saturday morning at 5 a.m. 
Holy cow, I'm a sinner. I think I need to be saved. Because, yeah, I think there's eternal life. I, I, I think I better find Jesus. You did not do that. Here's how you came to know Christ. God put appointments in your life. Different things happened in your life. God begins to draw your heart to himself. The Bible tells us that God draws men unto himself. So here's the thing. When I talk about a divine appointment with Jesus, I'm not talking that he showed up in your living room one night on a Tuesday night while you're watching your favorite show. And he's like, oh, by the way. No, when I talk about a divine appointment, it's this. Maybe you meet someone for the very first time. Or maybe it's a new job and you have a new coworker and you're, you're, you're getting to know them. They're getting to know you and you're just starting to have a conversation. And there's been something on your heart that you've been wrestling with for weeks. Just, just something going on. And then out of the blue, this person says something and you're like, why did they just say that? And it starts to stir something in your heart. Or maybe this, you decide to take a whole different route home one day. You're like, you know what? I'm bored driving the same route. I'm going to go a different direction. And you drive a different way home, and there's a billboard. It says something about God. Or maybe you drive by a church, and you were like, man, you know what? I haven't been to church since I was a kid. And then all of a sudden, you start to feel like, I need to go to church. Or maybe it's a crisis in your life, and it's starting to draw something out of you. Or maybe even, I think of what Preston said last week in his baptism. He said, I just started coming to church, and it was like as if Jim was talking to me directly. You see, that's a divine appointment. All those things are divine appointments for God to draw you to him. And then at one point, there was something that caused you to respond. Where you finally came to the place, you said, you know what? I need to accept Christ as my Savior. And can I tell you something even today? You're not here by accident. You didn't walk into this church, you know, for the first time, sometime down. You, whether this is your first time here or you, you, you started coming here years ago. You did not come to this church because you were just like, I think, I, no, a divine appointment drew you here. And you're here today because of a divine appointment. God wants to say something to you. And somehow, some way, he drew. How many of you know you did not have to come this morning? Okay? You all woke up at one point this morning and said, man, I'm, yesterday was such a nice day, but probably a lot of you were probably outside working in the yard, enjoying the warm weather. You woke up this morning, you're probably a little tired, maybe a little sore. And don't tell me you didn't have that briefest moment. You're like, man, I would love to just stay in bed. But something in your heart said, you know what? I need to go to church. I'm sorry, you're here by divine appointment. And you come to know Christ, not because you went seeking him, because you were the sinner. Jesus seeks sinners. Man, aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad that God doesn't look at sinners and go, forget them. If they can't do it right, I'm not going after them. If they can't be perfect, I don't care. No, he came. Jesus came for one reason, to seek and to save the lost. Seek, to find, to search you out, to draw your heart, to start knocking on your door, to whisper in your ear, hey, 
I want you. Can I tell you the U.S. Army wasn't the first one to have that slogan. That was Jesus. I want you. And he's just waiting for each of us to respond to him. You see, it's a divine appointment. It is Jesus seeking out the sinner even when we are not seeking him. Here's the second thing. Eternal life happens because Jesus shows sinners acceptance and forgiveness. He shows sinners acceptance and forgiveness. So he's at the well. He asks this woman, give me a drink. Now look at verse 9. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, asks for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? This woman put the dots together really fast, and she's like, well, wait a minute. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. This shouldn't be happening, okay? I want us to get a really clear picture of this woman before we go any farther, that we need to understand who she really was. One, that this, this woman had three strikes against her even before she got to the plate. Before this conversation even started, she had three strikes against her. One strike was this, and she even says it, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. We shouldn't be even having this conversation, okay? Because as I said, Jews and Samaritans did not intermingle. They did not talk. They did not discuss. They did not get it together. They did not have tea and crumpets. They did not interact. And here's especially what they did not do. A Jew would never, ever, never use an utensil that a Samaritan used. And she is saying, she'll say, how can you get water when you have nothing to draw out? So that means I have to draw the water and you'll have to drink. That is an impossibility. You can't do that because a Jew would become unclean touching anything a Gentile touches. And Jesus is like, give me a drink. She's like, I'm a Samaritan. Strike one. Strike two, she says it. I'm a woman from Samaria. So not only is she a Samaritan, but she's a woman. Strike two right out of the blocks. Strike two, because a woman, like a lot of culture today, was considered a second-class citizen, treated unfairly. Men treated them with no respect. They, were, they, they had no class in, in, in society, okay? If you were a woman in Jesus' time, life was not good. You did not have a choice a lot of times. You weren't going and... Your job was to go get the water and serve the man. She was a woman. And in fact, if you look at verse 27 in chapter 4, when the disciples finally get back, in verse 27 it says, and Jesus, or it says, just when the disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. They were like, they're like, doot, 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 doot. Jesus is talking to a woman. Why is he talking to a woman? These 12, these guys were like stunned. They, 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 they marveled at this. They were amazed. They were dumbfounded, flabbergasted that Jesus is talking to a woman. Shouldn't be happening. Strike two. But here's the third strike that even 
before she even said anything, before the conversation would have even began, was this. She was an immoral woman. Because if you look at verse 16, after Jesus starts to have this conversation with her, in verse 16, he says, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. When he says the one you have now, he's talking about you're having a relationship with a man that is not your husband. You're living with a man that is not your husband. Basically, he's saying you're living in a sinful situation, an immoral situation. And the fact that she had five husbands more than likely means that she had five divorces. And some of those divorces could have been caused by, what do you think? Adultery. Because of the fact that she, has a, that she has a man now and is not married to him, living with him, can I tell you, um, what color, do you, remember, do you remember the famous book that was written um, about the letter, what, what, what letter A? Scarlet. She was probably the scarlet woman in the community. And especially with other women. Why do you think she goes to the well at noon? Would other women be there? Nope. She'd be all alone. Maybe she was the social outcast in the community. Because you got to remember, this was probably a small village. Everybody, you know, you live in Woodhall and Alpha long enough. Guess what? Everybody knows what? Your own business. Everybody knows everybody's business, okay? It doesn't take long. So I'm pretty sure everybody would have known Barb. Oh, there's Barb. She's living with Ron. Or not, I don't want to use Ron. I'm sorry. (laughs) She's living with... Bubba, Bubba, Mark, Mike, what? She's living with a guy and they're not married. Oh my gosh, that's shameful. She would have been the outcast. She would have had no hope. And so she goes to the well at noon thinking, I'm going to be by myself. Nobody's going to be going, pointing fingers. I can be alone. And she shows up to the well. And it's not just a woman but it's a Jewish man. Now, you can't tell me she was like, oh, great. This is going to go fantastic because I know how Jews think toward, and he's a Jewish man. Number one, he's not going to like me because I'm a Samaritan. Number two, he's not going to like me because I'm a woman. And if he finds out about my oh, I have no hope in this situation. And she goes down, probably minding her own business. Because it wasn't her who started the conversation. Who started the conversation? Jesus. By simply saying, hey, can I have a drink? You see, Jesus looked at her. And he didn't see her being a woman. He didn't see her being a Samaritan. And he didn't even see her being a, a sinner. He saw her as this. A person Who needs to hear my message? He saw her as a woman who was an outcast, unloved by his people, who was a sinner, who needed eternal life. And he had that message for her. He had what she needed. You see, Jesus accepted her right where she's at. Isn't that great news? Man, think about that. Just think about your own life. How messed up were you 
before you came to know Jesus? I mean, how many of you would just love to have your life played out on a screen for all to see before you came to know Jesus? And a lot of us would be like, no, 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 no. But yet Jesus accepts us, doesn't he? He doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care how you've lived. He just has a message for you. Man, I've got something for you. And what he's trying to show this woman is, it's not about you. It's not about who you are or what you've done. It's all about me and what I have for you. Because if you look at verse 10, so she's like looking at Jesus like, how is it that you are talking to me? And Jesus answers her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is now beginning to unpeel the onion and he's about to just rock her world. He's like, I'm telling you, if you really could see behind the scenes in all this, if you could know who's actually talking to you, you would be blown away. Basically, he's saying, um, I am God showing up into your world right now. And I have something that will satisfy you to the depth of your soul. And what I have for you is a message. And the message is, I have living water. A water that, that you can't get out of this well. A water that will well up within you and will change your life. See, the the living water that Jesus is talking about is, is the power of the Holy Spirit coming inside of her. It's, it's the life of the Holy Spirit that, that changes a person and, 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 and gives them new birth. And, and Remember how we talked about being born again a few weeks ago? That's what that, that he's referring to. He's like, man, I want to see you born again. I want to see you living. I, want, I don't want to see you dead anymore. I've got living water that will bring life to you. He's talking about forgiveness and salvation. The gift that he offers to her. Now, here's the thing about this, about this living water is this. Um, there's two very important truths in this verse that Jesus says here. Two important. Here's the first um, one, and it's this. He says, if you knew the gift of God. The gift of God. That's what salvation is. It is a gift of God. He is sitting there telling her, hey, do you know you can't earn this thing? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how messed up you are. It doesn't matter how sinful you are. You can't earn this thing. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough. It's not about you. This is a gift of God. God, he's like, you would be asking for this gift. The gift of God is salvation. Through Christ. But also the second truth is this. It's for all people. He is talking to a Samaritan woman and a sinner. By all regards, I mean, on the outside, everybody would look at her and go, you don't deserve Jesus's time. You're a Samaritan, you're a woman, and you are a sinner. Why don't you just get your water and go home? But Jesus doesn't do that. He's trying to show her, you know what? I love you. 
God loves you and he has a gift for you. And I want to give you something. I want to change your world. I want to change your life. I want to do something in you that you've never thought of before or could never imagine. It's a gift of God and it's unearned and it's for everybody. You know, as I thought about the idea that the, the, that salvation and the gift of Christ is for every single person. It's for every sinner. You know, I've, I've said this repeatedly in the, this series that Romans 3 says we are all are sinners. No one's excluded from this thing. We're all sinners. And Jesus died for all of us and all of our sin. And no matter how ugly the sin is, it's for all of us. But there's two groups of sinners I believe struggle with this and why they have a hard time accepting this gift. Two groups. The first group is this. Self-loathing sinners. There are people who look at themselves and they believe they are too black. They're too sinful. Man, if Jesus really knew what I did, he, no, there's no way he can forgive me. Do you know what I have done? Do you know the horribleness I have done? Do you know how unworthy I am? Do you know how... And they look at everything they've done and they view it from their own perspective. They view it from the perspective of what people have said about them. And they, they, they correlate that to God and they go, there's no way God can forgive me. And they will go through their life rejecting this free gift because it's for everybody except for who? Them. I'm too bad. I've just, I, I've done too much. There's no way God can forgive me. And that's a lie. And Jesus is showing this to us through this woman. It is for everybody. But here's the second group of people, not just self-loathing people, self-righteous people. Because self-righteous people, you look at themselves and go, yeah, I, I know I'm a sinner. I, I know I, I, I don't do everything right. But man, I don't, I've done a lot of good in my life. I've done a lot of righteous things in my life. I mean, I mean I, 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 I've served with the, the Salvation Army, and I'm, I'm swinging that bell every year at Christmas time. I, I give to charity. I donate a lot of money to people. I, I've done some religious things. I, I, I try to obey the Ten Commandments. I go to church on Easter, and at Christmas time, I do the right things. So, so I'm, pre I'm pretty sure my good's going to outweigh my bad. So you know what? I think I'm okay. And they don't receive that free gift because they're banking on, I'm okay. You see, there's nothing that you've done that's too bad that Jesus can't forgive. And there's nothing that you have done that's too good that can save you. You're dead in the water both ways. The only thing is coming to that place where you acknowledge, yep, I'm a sinner. And I need that living water that Jesus is offering. So, eternal life happens because Jesus seeks sinners even though we aren't seeking him. He shows sinners acceptance and forgiveness. And then here's the third thing. Jesus satisfies sinners' deepest need. He satisfies the deepest needs within us. So he offers this living water. He's talking about this living water. And then in verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water out with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the, that living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob? I always wonder when I read that. I wonder if Jesus wanted to pause and go, <laughs> yeah, because let me tell you who I am. Jacob, man, he was just a pawn. Trust me. I, I, I was using him for my glory, you know, much greater than Jacob. He says, he gave us this well and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, and this is, this is where it all lands. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, this woman, like all of us, she's looking is she looking predominantly at her physical need or her spiritual need? Her physical need. I need water. My family needs water. My, the guy I'm living with needs water. I got to get it. Physical need. And don't we do the same? How many of us focus so much on our physical needs? And yet we forget the spiritual stuff. And what Jesus is saying is he's like, listen, you can drink this water all day long but it's not going to satisfy your thirst. You see, Jesus had a thirst, and he knew it. This woman had a thirst that she didn't know about because she's just looking at the, the thirst in her throat. Jesus is looking at the thirst of her soul. He's like, there is a thirst in you that you don't understand and you don't know. And you can drink this water all day long and it's not going to satisfy. But I'm telling you, the water that I will give you, a living water that's going to well up inside of you and bring new life, that will satisfy you forever. You know, it was Blaise Pascal who said it this way. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. You see, there is a God-shaped vacuum, a God-shaped hole. There is a thirst, a spiritual thirst within us that isn't going to be satisfied by the outward things. But yet, don't we do that? Don't we, you know, we, we, we choose things like, you know, physical things, you know, whether it's sensual pleasures, alcohol, drugs, or what about this? I thought about this one. What about people who just continually try to get, you know, a little tuck here, a little Botox there? They keep trying to shape the outside. They keep trying to get, okay, I'm, I'm 105, but I still want to look like I'm 25. So keep, you know, keep pushing the face back and, and keep tucking the tummy and keep the wrinkle. They think if I can just change the outside, but there's something inside that's burning. Something inside that's so thirsty that they cannot change the physical things. Some people try spiritual things. We try Eastern mysticisms. We try, you know, that's why people get involved with cults. They're looking for something. There's something in them that's not being satisfied. So they're like, well, I'll try this. We even try church things. Well, as long as I go to church on Easter, I go to church on Christmas, I'll try to obey the Ten Commandments. That'll help. There's something thirsty inside of them. We try to do good things. People join the Peace Corps. We help in homeless shelters. We do whatever we can. We keep doing the good things. Some people think, well, if I can just attain the greatness, the power, the fame, that will fill. But yet, isn't it amazing how many famous people we read about who overdose and 
kill themselves. And why? Because there's something logging in them. There's still something thirsty in them that, that doing physical things and spiritual things and famous things, it only dulls the outside, but it doesn't satisfy the inside. And Jesus tells us, he's like, I have got living water for every single person that it will satisfy the inside and that satisfying the inside means it comes to the place where I can, I settle the whole issue of my sin is forgiven. My eternity is secure and I am forever safe. And that's the living water that Jesus has to offer. And it's simple. And this is how simple it is. And the woman says in verse 15, Sir, give me this water. That's the water I need. And even Jesus said, he goes, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask him for it. That's how easy the salvation thing is. This is how easy having this, the, 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 the internal emptiness, the internal hunger, the internal thirst to be satisfied. It's to simply ask, Jesus, I need you. Man, we make it so difficult, though. We keep telling people, well, yeah, you, you can have faith in Jesus, but you got to continue to work for it. Man, you got to keep pushing through that finish line. You got to keep doing. You got to keep working harder. You got to keep performing. You got to keep trying. And I'm telling you, people get burnt out trying to get to God because we just know, have I done enough? I can't do enough. Because I don't know about you, but I know I get frustrated every time I fail. And people get frustrated with themselves because they keep trying to equate my salvation and my eternal life depends on me. And it doesn't. The only thing that depends on you is this, that you ask for it. That you come to the place where you acknowledge, I am a sinner. <laughs> I am. I am messed up like a soup sandwich, man, and I, I am a sinner. And, and you acknowledge that, as the Bible tells me, my sin separates me from God. And I can't get myself to God by myself. The Bible makes it very clear that our sins separate us from God and that we fall short of the glory of God. And there's nothing you and I can do. We can't achieve more. We can't work harder. We can't do more. The only thing I can do is accept that I am a sinner. My sin separates from me from God. And I need a Savior. And that's what Jesus came to do to save us. And all you've got to do is come to that place where you say, Jesus be my savior. I need you. Save me. Come into my life. And that's when you have eternal life. And it's all because of what Jesus did and not because of what you and I do. Amen? Hey, why don't we all stand? Let's all go before the Lord in a word of prayer. Just kind of close your eyes. I just want you to ponder. I don't, you are the only person that knows whether you have that living water in you or not. 
You're the only person who knows that have you asked Jesus to come into your life. I, I don't know everybody's heart in here, but you know. Have you come to that place where you have said, Jesus, come into my life, be my Savior. Be my Lord. Take away my sin. Do everything in me because I can't do it. I need you. If you have never done that, you're going to waste your time and energy trying to fill that void and that hole in your heart with all the outward stuff, and you'll still come up, up empty. Jesus wants to give you eternal life through him. And if you have never accepted Christ, if you've never said yes to him, and he's changed your life, and you, if you've never said, Jesus, I need you, would you just raise your hand and say, Jim, that's me. I need Jesus. That's why we've been looking at this thing called eternal life for the past now four weeks. Because that's what Jesus came to do. To give us all eternal life. And I want to make sure you have that. So Father, I, I know you are wrestling in hearts and and Lord, even as we close with this last song, and Lord, if there would be anyone in here, even after we get ready to leave, that they would come up and say, Jim, I don't know Jesus. Because I know, Lord, you don't want anybody to perish. You want all people to have eternal life. And Lord, I would pray for those people. Maybe they're self-loathing in here today. Maybe they think they've done too much. They're too bad. They're too sinful. And maybe they think that you can't forgive them. And I pray that God, you would press upon them right now that your forgiveness is greater than their sin. And Lord, I would pray for those who are self-righteous in here thinking they're okay. Yeah, they, they, they understand what you did and they understand that they, they, they are sinful, but maybe they're thinking their goodness is, is greater than their sin and they're, 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 they're banking on that. And I would pray, Holy Spirit, impress on their heart that they can't do enough and they're still lost in their sin without Christ. So Lord, I just pray that you would just keep working in our hearts as we sing. And we thank you for the truth of your word, Jesus. Thank you that you came and sought us. Even when we didn't deserve it, we weren't seeking you. You came to save us and we thank you. In Jesus' name.